Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Julius Baer podcast. This is Richard Tang, the China strategist and head of research Hong Kong for Bank Julius Baer. Happy New Year. It's time again for our monthly conversations with Grow. Let me welcome Hong Hao back to our podcast to discuss China and Hao is currently the partner and chief economist of Grow. Hi, Hao. Thank you very much for your time speaking with us today. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Now, back to the focus of the podcast today. Last December, we had a key event going on, which was the Central Economic Working Conference. Basically, is annual conference that is used to set the policy direction for the coming year. And we just had the one happening in last December. A few new terms were coming out from there, say, to consolidate stability through progress and to establish the new before abolishing the old, like if I translate those Chinese terms directly to English. Now, this seems to be a more constructive narrative, but at the same time, the conference also emphasized that economic policies have to be measured. And the term measure basically sounds a little bit more conservative. So how, how should we exactly interpret the takeaways from the conference? What will economic policies look like this year? Is it going to be an extension of 2023? Yeah, I think the economic growth target is going to be 5% again, a nice round number. I think in 2023, we have more or less the same growth target. And I think more likely than not, in 2023, we did a little bit more than 5%. So I think for next year, anywhere between 4 to 5% seems to be the market consensus. And no one would be surprised if they come out and say, let's do 5% again for 2024. Gotcha. And you do think economic policy would probably stay similarly balanced or slightly more accommodative as what we saw in 2023? I think at least right now, from all the message or the soundbites that we receive, it seems to be that way. So it seems to be a continuation, steady as it goes sort of scenario. So monetary-wise, because China doesn't have inflationary pressure at all, and instead, disinflation or deflationary pressure seems to be building up. So there's room for even more monetary easing, whether it's effective or not, that's another question, but you know, there's a lot more room for monetary easing. And also China is developing its uh, semiconductor industry, the EV industry, and also the new energy industry. And those seems to be the forte for the country right now. So I think in 2024, if there's no drastic policy change in terms of how to restructure the economy, those are the industries that we'll be focusing on in terms of growth. Gotcha. And you basically answered some of the questions that I'm going to ask, but does it mean that we will be looking at the Chinese economy slightly more differently? Because the way I'm thinking about the Chinese economy right now is that it's going in at a so-called dual speed, the property related sector going at one speed and the non-property sector going at the other speed. And I think you mentioned a couple of times in the past podcast already that for new home sales, we should have a new expectation instead of a billion square meters of sales, we probably are going to a lower new normal. So the situation of this is that in this environment, the contribution from property to the overall economic growth would be negative rather than positive. So we basically need something to compensate. And you just mentioned about new energy vehicle or what I would think of as semiconductors, industrial automation, these kind of high-end manufacturing too, won't be more than offset, but partially compensate for the shortfall of the growth. So if we add all those up, I guess uh, you already said that the range of GDP growth that we would have, probably roughly 4 or 5%. And my question is, besides EV, besides semiconductors, which are doing very well, what are the other bright spots uh, that we should focus on? 
And would that be consumption or anything else or exports? Well, let's define price sports. So to me, it means better than expected. So if you look at the Chinese economy, besides the industries that you mentioned just now, there seems to be prevalent slow growth or even going backwards <laughs> in many of the industries. For example, in the property sector that you mentioned. I think what is better than expected is actually consumption. So even though there's a, a structural change in terms of what people are consuming, but we're seeing, especially like in the holiday season, consumption remain resilient. If you get a chance to travel in China, you see you know, hotels are fully booked, high-speed rail tickets are very hard to come by, and all the airplanes are fully loaded. So I had the experience of traveling between different cities in the past a couple of weeks, and that's my sort of a first-hand experience. Even so, the volume is sort of back to the pre-COVID level, but I think there's a consumption downgrade here, you know, because back then people used their money to travel overseas, but then now they seem to be spending their money domestically. So it's, it's good for the domestic industry, but then at the same time, it means that they're cutting down their budgets. That's one. And also, if you look at the general consumption trend, so low-end products seem to be selling exceedingly well. This year, for example, in the, on the single day, the biggest sales event of the world, low-end consumer cosmetic seems to be selling very well. Imported goods, imported brands, especially Japanese brands are doing very poorly. Some are down like 90% year on year. So the uh, national domestic brands are doing well. So and that's give you some sort of indication of how the consumption downgrade is going on in China. But I think we make it up with a bigger volume this time of the year. So all in all, as you can see, there are some good spots that is beating expectations, such as consumption and also some of the industries that you mentioned. But then property is still a huge drag to the economy. So I guess we won't have consumption or new industries totally offset because, uh, as you mentioned, the drag from property would be large, but sort of uh, offset a little bit of that. And I'll save some of the discussion later regarding like how do we figure out a supply-side reform or should we focus on demand-side instead. But in the very near term, it does look like the market has become a little bit short-sighted again. Richard, let me add to your point. Just now I stopped at property being a drag on the economy. But I think for years and years, property has been a growth engine for the economy, right? So it accounts for either one third of the GDP and also it's a huge credit multiplier uh, in the economy. So I think this time of the year, the reason why loan growth, social credit expansion isn't as strong as it used to be is because of the ailing property market that is failing to serve as a pro uh, credit multiplier as, as it did before. So that is a huge challenge that we're facing. But then at the same time, if you flip the coin to the other side, what's happening right now is that we're sort of cornered into an area where the traditional growth model is failing us. So it's time to think for change. I think the urgency coming from the property sector and also the drag coming from the property sector is actually, on one hand, it's cornering us, but then at the same time, it is actually forcing us to rethink. So how best to re-engineer a new growth model? I think for years and years, the Chinese economists have been talking about, oh, it's you know, structural reform, right? So we want to move from a manufacturing supply-side economy into a demand-driven consumption-based economy. But then for years and years, because we had it so easy, the property sector continued to give as it went. So we didn't have the urgency to change. And that, in a way, left us where we are right now. 
So I think going forward, even though this huge challenge uh, that we're confronting, but then at the same time, this challenge is actually forcing us to rethink and probably give us strong incentive to re-engineer a new growth model. So let's hope that we're getting the better of this uh, bad situation. For sure, we will hope for uh, <laughs> better to come. That's right. Yeah, right now, as I mentioned, the, the market is extremely short-sighted and focused on the every next data point, like PMI is a little bit weak. And obviously that reflects the weakness from the property sector that we just talked about already. It takes time to restructure, whether that's to consumption, to the new manufacturing sectors, or to both, definitely needs a little bit of patience. But the market is sort of running out of patience, and they're basically just looking for the next policy tool, and then they got hope and then got disappointed. I guess to be very short-sighted, do you think we are getting into a point whether we will finally have a rate cut or continuing more triple R cuts? But I guess we are at the edge of falling into a liquidity trap. So you just mentioned about we need a new growth model. We need better credit multiplier to get us away from the liquidity trap. So I guess the question from me is, do you think our monetary policy has already got to a saturation point? Or are there any other tools that we may be able to use to avoid that liquidity trap, which Japan has gone through and some other countries as well? And we're very mindful of that and also the deflationary pressure. No, I think the question I have in mind is that why many of these monetary easing policy that traditionally has worked so well in the past economic cycles has failed this time. So obviously, we are probably giving the wrong medicine to the illness that we're facing. So as a result, if you continue to ease monetary policy, one of the possible destination for the newly created liquidity is to build even more excess capacity. So because you're driven by the old mindset. So if you're building even more supply and your demand is sort of weakish or restructuring, and then you end up with an even bigger supply-demand imbalance and therefore even bigger downward pricing pressure. So I think that's one of the reasons why the market failed to respond to policy signals. So if we continue down that path, continue to ease using the traditional monetary policy to ease I think you can't say it's not effective. You can't say it's not having any effects on the economy, but I don't think it's giving you the results that you're looking for. So I think in terms of, for example, recently we expanded PSL by 350 billion yuan on the PBOC's balance sheet. And this is the first time in 12 months that the central bank actually expanded its balance sheet and so aggressively using PSL and also we, on previous episodes, have already forecasted this policy outcome. And I think we are among the first to sort of make such forecasts. And now, going into January, you're seeing PSL is done, OMO, Open Market Operations done, and also the MIF is done. And altogether, it gives another 2 to 3 trillion yuan worth of you know, extra liquidity in the system. But the market failed to respond. And normally, when you see this kind of operations, it's a prelude to triple cut and also even interest rate cut. And many of us are expecting it as well. And because the market has been expecting it, and therefore, even if you deliver on such policy easing, it probably won't have too strong an effect on the economy and also on the market. So I think we're between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, we think that by using monetary policy, giving policy stimulus would help the economy to regrow. But then on the other hand, 
these policies, even though we try multiple times and, and with more and more force and magnitude, it's not giving you the, the results that you're looking for. So it's time to rethink. Besides this kind of conventional policy, what other things can you do? Can you do asset purchase like the Fed did in 2008? Can you, for example, structure your SOE ownership and distribute the SOE ownership shares to your residents? Can you give consumption money to your residents to complete a physical transfer to the Chinese households, etc., etc.? I think many of these policies haven't been tried before. But I think if the conventional policies are failing us, then it's time to rethink and think outside the box. And some of these policies have been proven effective in the Western economies, and it may work for us this time in China. Cool. I think you mentioned a really good point that the marginal impact of uh, traditional measures are loosening, reducing, diminishing, and that the problem is because it's a new one, that in the past, the bottleneck is on the supply side. So if you build more capacity, basically that boosts GDP growth and you have a good economic multiplier. Now it looks like the bottleneck is on the demand side. So I think you mentioned very good examples of like, consumption vouchers and other measures that, that would hopefully boost the demand side. And of course, we have to wait and see whether the government would at least take some of those uh, ideas. My other question is, it does look like that the regulations are not coordinated, or as the government mentioned in the Central Economic Working Conference, we need to improve policy coordination among the different parts of the government. And the reason I mentioned this is that the timing of the gaming regulation announcement is at odds with what the government says about uh, how they support the economy. And obviously, we've seen uh, how the stocks uh, have fallen, and that, to some extent, renews some of the concern from investors whether the policy is getting on the tighter side again. And of course, we then have a long story of how policies have been done to revive the market confidence. My question to you is how do you think policy in terms of regulations are there any tightening that's remaining that will still need to be done? Would this be actually an opportunity that most of the policies that come out in the future would be pro-business, pro-growth, and they probably, some of those tightening policies will be put at the back for a moment? Yeah, I think it's about setting expectations. So everybody was surprised by the solicitation of opinion just before Christmas on the gaming industry. And many of the rules changes already sort of surprised everybody because it fundamentally changed how the business operates. With such significant policy coming out, and there was no pre-signaling, there's no consultation before this. It's just odd. But it also shows that at this time, judging from the market reaction, we lost 800 billion US dollars that day with of market cap. It shows that the coordination is very important between departments. And also, we need to take a holistic approach to solve the problem that we have right now. So in macroeconomics, we're looking for a general equilibrium. To reach a general equilibrium, you need simultaneous clearing in three markets, namely the labor market, financial market, and also the real economy, right, the goods market. So right now, as you can see, the labor market is suffering from a very high youth unemployment. So one quarter of the young Chinese people are not working. And nowadays, you know, if you do a Chinese PhD, it takes you nine years, right? So because there's no point graduating, right? So people just <laughs> stay, in, <laughs> stay in school and working for the professors. 
And so if you look at the goods market, you know, the goods market, you know, some of the commodities are actually doing well, but at the same time, the property sector is selling. So property sales is down another 20% year on year. It is tough to get to a general equilibrium as many of the macroeconomists are looking for. So as a result, the financial market is not clearing either. So it is actually following the physical goods market and also the labor market down. Unless you cut off this negative loop, the financial market is not going to rebound. Just as simple as that. And therefore, to coordinate, because financial regulators, they oversee the financial market. Ministry of Urban and Housing Construction, they look at the goods market, the property market, and also the labor market belongs to the Department of Labor. As you can see, like it's a huge grand work plan that you have to set out for China. It involves so many different departments to work together. So right now we're facing a, a problem where, for example, the regulators come up with a new set of rules for the gaming sector and then the financial market goes into panic. Then the financial regulator will say, oh, wow, you guys shouldn't be selling your shares. But then for shareholders, because I can't set my expectation, it's very difficult not to be bearish when confronted with such dramatic change without prior notice in the gaming industry. So I think as a result, as you can see, right, so it requires so many different departments to work together. But I think right now, it seems to me that different departments are trying very hard to do their job. You can't say that the gaming industry regulators are not doing his or her job because it's, you know, it's trying to achieve the goal that is set by the central government. And then at the same time, the financial regulator thinks that if the market going down, then the regulator is not doing his job. All right? So that's why you have all these conflicting signals and almost chaotic operations in the different markets. And as a result, it's difficult to set expectation and therefore difficult to achieve the general equilibrium. And therefore, as you can see, the market is not responding. So unless you cut off, break down this negative feedback loop, it will be very difficult to revive the confidence that we're all hoping for. Right. So it sounds like for all these changes to happen within the government body, it probably takes quite a bit of time, which basically means that we'll be so-called status quo for a while in the Chinese market. But of course, we always have to keep the hope. Anyway, that's pretty much the time that we have. And we've pretty much discussed all we have today. Thank you very much, Hao, for your sharing. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next podcast. Goodbye and speak soon. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.